Welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Chris Brown. For more information on our church, visit c3church.narara.net. Cool. All right. Thank you, Musos. Have a seat. Well, we're continuing today on our series on First Peter. In fact, we're going to finish it next week with Aaron Harrison preaching on chapter 5. We've been working our way through the book, doing an exegesis of the different verses and the truths therein of First Peter. And then we'll switch to a series on faith that will go into November. And as Eleanor said, we've got Fergus McIntyre coming uh, that first weekend of November. Put that in the diary. So... 1 Peter chapter 4, we're up to verse 12, and we're going to read the seven verses from verse 12 down to verse 19, reading from the ESV, English Standard Version. And he said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad When his glory is revealed. If you're insulted in the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, taking notes, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Okay, did you notice the S word? Yes, we're going to have to talk about suffering. Aren't you glad you came to church? Now, I know glory's in there as well. Glory sounds good. But in God's kingdom, glory is inextricably linked to suffering. And both are constantly referred to throughout this book, this letter, letter Peter wrote to the churches back then and to us today. And in fact, suffering and glory are the two key themes of the book of First Peter. They're the two key words in, in the book, more than any other key word or phrase, they both appear 16 times each. Interesting. And content outlines reveal this. Content outlines are written by biblical scholars to help people catch the overall theme of a Bible book that you come to study. And so here's an example of a content outline. I think it might appear on the screen. Um, that you can find, and this one's focusing on the concept of salvation. Very basic outline. There it was. I hope you took notes, wrote it down quickly. Oh, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong screen. You can still see it. This one flicks, right? Dale, lay hands on this screen, please. Um, so, uh, yeah, suffering in relation to salvation, first couple of chapters. Suffering in relation to conduct, next couple of chapters. Suffering in relation to attitude. There you go. See, it's all about suffering. But at the same time, another outline of the same book can say this. Chapter 1, embrace the calling for glory. Chapter 2, be purified for love and glory. Chapter 3, practice submission for glory. Remember, there was quite a lot in there about submission within marriage, relating to other people in authority. 
and now in chapter 4, we're talking about enduring suffering for glory. And next chapter, the final one, talks about envisioning future glory. And so the same concepts, sorry, two different concepts in the same book, and they are married closely together in God's ways, God's kingdom. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the fact is the, the Christian life is a call to glory. But the pathway along that call involves suffering. Colossians one twenty seven says, Christ is in you, the hope of glory. And in fact, one translation says, um, Christ is in you, you have the assurance of sharing his glory. In other words, we sense his glory in worship, on our lives, in prayer, at times a little stronger than others, but it's not fully realised, and yet it will be fully realised, we'll enter into his glory, we say. Talking about dying and going to be with the Lord and entering into eternity, that's when we'll fully experience his glory. And we sang that song earlier that is very stirring, you know, um, all the earth, come on, help me out, we'll shout your praise, my heart will sing, my these bones will become alive again. I'm not a songwriter, and you can tell why, but Erin always laughs. She says, look, you never remember the words right. It's just not good enough. But you know the song I'm talking about, you know, and great... Okay, I'm not going to sing it, but uh, great are you, Lord. And it's, it, you know, these bones will sing. Is that right? You know, and our hearts will cry out and <laughs> come on. Um, where's Scott when you need him? Quickly, quickly sing that song. The fact is, you know, we are going to be in glory. That's a glorious, it's a great word. And, and let me say this, Jesus is the focus and the source and the one who deserves glory. No one and nothing else. And yet people are getting distracted and giving glory to all kinds of things. People don't deserve the glory that they get sometimes. And in fact, it makes them go a little mad. I truly believe it's why some people who are really well off and famous and glorified and idolized have difficult personal lives. And uh, because people are, are they're worshipping them, rock stars and movie stars and sports stars, and they're receiving glory that they're not really designed to receive. I mean, do well and get applause and win that World Cup or sing that song and perform to a million people or whatever. And, and, but the ones that survive the stardom, you usually find have got a good dose of humility. And, uh, and, and those that don't stay grounded and get caught up with the, the idolising just aren't built for it. We're, we're not built for, to, to be idolized and glorified. We're built to glorify the Lord. And so uh, we sense glory on our lives from him. But if you're doing well, and you give glory to God. And, uh, and of course, appreciate thanks and do a good job. And if someone says you've done a good job, you don't have to do the pseudo false humility thing. Oh, it's not me. It's the Lord. No, no, it was you. You did it. Oh, no, it wasn't really me. I like, just say thank you, you did a great job. Thank you, I did, good, great. But then you don't get carried away, yeah? it's a balance. So all glory to Jesus. But as I said, the journey towards that glorious day involves suffering. And I don't just mean normal difficulties of life, because that is part of life. 
But I'm talking about the special challenges that Christians face because if you're in Christ, you're inevitably going to be at odds with some aspects of the society and the culture that you live in. And that doesn't mean that we head to the hills and become Christian preppers and commune, introverted people cut off from society. We love people, we connect with people, we're interacting with the world, but there is a disconnect with the world that someone full on for Jesus is going to find. And Jesus himself said it in John 15. Listen to this. The words of Jesus. If the world, in John 15 verse 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. So again, that doesn't mean that we hate people or hate the world back, but there is a worldly spirit or an anti-Christ spirit or a, a set of values that happen and flow and get promoted sometimes in the world that is against God's ways. And there is a pushback that you need to understand and, and have in, in your life. And so back here, look at verse 12 again at the start of this passage. That's why it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's going to happen if you follow Jesus. You're going to have some trouble as a result of the fact that you follow him. And isn't it interesting? He says, don't get surprised because don't we get surprised when things go wrong? Don't you feel like saying, this is not, hey, everyone stop, listen, uh, look, this is wrong. something wrong. Is go- I'm surprised. Aren't you? Can we stop everything? Can you all just drop what you're doing and fix up the problem that shouldn't be happening in my life? Because I'm really surprised by this, and you should be too. Isn't there something in us that says that? You don't sort of go, oh, yeah, another problem. Yeah, okay, I deserve it. Or, yeah, it's just part of life. Something in us goes, eh, it's not fair. It's not, I don't, I'm, this shouldn't be happening. It's not, but it is just part of the package, especially, as I said, if you have an outlook that clashes with the values and the, the ethos and the ways of the world around you. And uh, as we read on, uh, we'll see a little more of this. He says, um, don't be surprised, verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Whenever the Bible talks in the New Testament about suffering, it always talks about rejoicing. And it's a real challenge, isn't it? It doesn't just say, I know it's tough. So just have a pity party and it challenges you because it says, be happy about it. <laughs> like, really, God? Like, because it says we're told, uh, sorry, let me, did I just read that whole passage? Rejoice in so far as you, know, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So not only should we not be surprised, like I said, we're, we're told to rejoice, to be happy, because verse 12 told us that our faith is tested, so it's a, a chance for your faith to get stronger when it's, it's tested, purified. And here it says that we are sharing with Christ. You're sharing in Christ's suffering. Again, notice glory and suffering going hand, hand in hand also in that little passage. Now, that is reinforced constantly in the New Testament, the, the concept of sharing with Christ's sufferings. Uh, listen to Romans chapter 8. This may sound familiar to you. Romans 8 verse 16 says, um, 
the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Sounds good so far. And if children, you're heirs, heirs of God. Sounds even better. And fellow heirs with Christ. Sounds awesome. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. See how they go together. And Paul talks about his own life in this way, about his own walk with God. You know, he talks to the, um, the Philippians about his life saying, basically, look, I'm not interested in my previous life, as successful as it was. And then he says, compared to that, I want to leave it all behind. And then in Philippians 3.10, he says this, I want to leave all that behind, that I may know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, And then by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's the ultimate glory we're talking about. So again, he talks about sharing in the sufferings in Christ. And in fact, the word he uses in that passable, in that passage, in that passage about suffering, to share is the word koinonia. And the Greek word koinonia, we know, uh, is often used to talk about fellowship. So there's a koinonia of of, of suffering. There's a, a, a sharing and a fellowship, a bond that is caused when someone suffers alongside someone else or in the same way as someone else has. And, uh, and we know that because, you know, fellowship is, is formed when you've got either a shared interest with someone else or a shared circumstance or a shared problem that you've gone through. And, um, and it brings you close because you've got this problem that you've persevered through together that no one else understands but you've been through it with that person um you may remember a group of young australians that have become known as the peru six and they're not drug smugglers but they were just holidaying in peru four years ago and they didn't know each other that well until they all met in the last parts of their holiday and they splurged towards the end of their holiday, on a night in a fancy apartment building. But high up from the same apartment building on the night they were staying, someone fell to their death. And the rumours circulated around that these foreigners had something to do with it. And they left the country, Australian people all returned. But for the past four years, there's been talk about them being called back to Peru to answer charges. Well, this week, finally, they were relieved to hear that the Peruvian government will not pursue any further inquiries about them. And the article that I read, it said an interesting thing, or one of them was quoted as saying something interesting. They said, it's been a terrible time, four years, always wondering, you know, is this going to develop into something? They said, it's been a time of anguish, but we've formed lifelong friendships by facing the ordeal together. Because... It's a terrible thing, but we're in it together. And there's this koinonia, this fellowship in suffering. Now, you add to that the spiritual element of suffering and persecution that comes as a follower of Christ, and you've got people closely related and people with God closely related. So next month, for example, I'm going to preach in Vietnam for Pastor Vin, whom we met last year, and he's been imprisoned 20 or so times over the last few decades for his faith. And things are getting easier in Vietnam. Uh, Still a communist country, but they're opening up to the West and they know they can't 
be too abusive and forceful with their own people uh, if they want all the tourism and foreign investment that they're looking for. Um, but Pastor Vin sends reports about what God's doing in his country. And uh, the one that I got just last week or the week before uh, had a great story in it. These are Christians who have been, as I said, heavily persecuted in the past, less so now, but they're never quite sure. The local authorities, especially in some of the country areas, can still be very heavy-handed. And uh, they're always on their toes when they come up against people of authority. And so it forces them to press into their relationship with God And as they make a stand for their faith, they feel the presence of God, the glory of God, a closeness with God. And in in that atmosphere, of course, they really appreciate blessings when things go their way, as this story reveals. So he writes this, uh, in Kwangnai province, you'll be glad I told you it was in Kwangnai province, so you'll know exactly where that is. Um, Well, he elaborates, it's in the central part of Vietnam. Really narrowed it down, so I thought you'd want to know that. Um, Two believers work at the wood factory. This is Pastor Vin's English. It's excellent, but uh, you may find a phrase that sounds a little uh, unusual. Recently, the director, and he didn't say this, but I'm just saying the director, he said director, but I'm saying that could be a government-appointed position or it could be a private company. We don't know, but either way, these guys are in uh, respect of the authority. The director opened a new shop to sell furniture. Food was offered on the day on an altar to the money god. So we've got a funny situation in Vietnam. We've got communist government, but we've got hundreds and thousands of years of ancient traditions and, you know, religious, spiritual, different versions of worship, and they meld the two together. So they have this food offering, and then they had lunch together, together, except the two Christians who sat in the corner eating nothing. The director came and asked them why they had not eaten lunch. We are sorry, sir. We are Christians. We cannot eat food offered to the altar, they answered. Who is your pastor and where is your church? Give me his phone number, he asked. They were very afraid because they did not know what would happen to them. But they had to give the pastor's phone number. The next day, the pastor was called to meet the director of the wood company. During the, director, sorry, during the talk, the director said, Do you need chairs for your church? I can supply you 75 chairs for your church for free. Surprisingly, and of course, the pastor thanks him very much. But he said, I don't have money to rent the truck to bring them back to my village. Don't worry, I pay for you, all right? The pastor and the local believers, even now, don't know why the non-believer director is quite good to them, except that he said to them, I admire the faith of your two young guys. Very good. Isn't that awesome? So they're being, they're just thinking, oh, flip, we're in big trouble. We didn't eat the food offered to the idols. Oh, no. You know, the next thing, pastor's getting free chairs. <laughs> like, cool. Of course, next month we could get a story. You remember the story about the church got the free chairs? Yeah, they burned it down and they're all dead. So, you know, it, it's, it's kind of, I'm not, it's not going to happen. I'm just saying that that's the environment they're in. You never quite know what's going to happen. Because speaking of really tough environments, talk about church in China. You know that that's had a really hard time ever since 1948, 49, you know, when the communist government took over. And uh, I watched a recent uh, video smuggled out of the country that showed people praying 4.30 in the morning. They say they meet every day for two hours in a cave 
and pray fervently before they go to work and start their day. And they're doing that. And their tears are streaming down their face and they're crying out to God. And uh, at the same time, the government's just passed some new laws that are cracking down on the churches. Uh, they're calling all the Christians to, um, uh, what do they say? They have to pledge loyalty, firstly, to the Communist Party. And one pastor said in an interview, this cannot be done. Jesus Christ is my only belief, my only loyalty is to him. And so they suffer as a result. And yet the church grows stronger. They say they could be up to 100 million people in China meeting secretly in underground churches, non-government approved churches. And within 20 or 30 years, they could have the largest number of Christians in China than any other country in the world. So the church grows regardless of, or some would say even maybe because of, the persecution and the suffering that they face. And we've got laws now uh, preventing churches in Russia from sharing their faith. Uh, You can't have a Christian meeting of any kind in your home now in Russia because it's not a public place where they can try and control it. Uh, You know, we've got problems, you know, with churches and Christians in the Middle East, North Korea... But wherever you find uh, persecution and suffering, you find a strong church. You find people leaning into the glory of God. Isn't it awesome? And of course, I think the ultimate group of stories that talks all about that is uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs. If you've never read that, you can read it for free on the internet these days because it's so old uh, in the public domain or you can buy it cheaply on a Kindle app. And um, John Fox chronicled the stories of people who had been uh, died, had been martyred and killed for their faith right from early Christian times um, through to the 1500s when he wrote uh, the the book and uh, and you know whether it was being thrown to the lions by Nero or suffering under the many inqu- inquisitions the constant theme is of Christian people with God's grace and and life and love and glory on them even though they're suffering, at the moment that they're suffering the worst possible persecution and pain and death, and they're in the glory of God. And you see so many times, um, John Fox lived at the time of Queen Mary. And this is, you know, the queen who earned the nickname Bloody Mary, not just because she invented an alcoholic drink, but because of her persecution yeah, of Protestants and, and the, you know, these are all the free believers who wanted to just read the Bible in their own language. They didn't want to, they didn't subscribe to the non-biblical doctrines of the state church at the time that she oversaw. And so rather than just criticize them or cut off a few rights in society, they were heavily persecuted and martyred, a lot of them. And, um, and he had first-hand accounts available at the time and even witnessed some of the executions himself. He famously writes about a Thomas Hawkes. He was condemned to be burned at the stake in 1555, which is when John Fox was writing. Um, and he writes this about Thomas Fawkes. He was in person comely and of good stature, in manners a gentleman and a sincere Christian. A little before death, several of Mr Hawkes' friends terrified by the sharpness of the punishment he was going to suffer, privately desired that in the midst of the flames he should show them some token, whether the pains of burning were so great that a man might not collectively endure it or otherwise. This he promised to do, 
And it was agreed that if the rage of the pain might be suffered, then he should lift up his hands above his head towards heaven before he gave up the ghost. Not long after, Mr. Hawkes was led away and being come to the stake, mildly and patiently prepared himself for the fire, having a strong chain cast about his middle with a multitude of people on every side, unto whom, after he had spoken many things and poured out his soul unto God, the fire was kindled. When he had continued long in it, and his speech was taken away by violence of the flame, his skin drawn together and his fingers consumed with the fire so that it was thought that he was gone, suddenly and contrary to all expectation, this good man being mindful of his promise, reached up his hands, burning in flames over his head to the living God, and with great rejoicings, as it seemed, struck or clapped them three times together. A great shout followed this wonderful circumstance, and then this blessed martyr of Christ, sinking down in the fire, gave up his spirit. There's a way to go. And there's so many other stories like that. People saying... crying out, Lord, receive my spirit, forgive these persecutors and the crowds who were supposed to be approving of the execution of the uh, heretic would be cheering, saying, and and tingles running down their spine saying, God's here, the glory of God is here in the midst of the suffering. Well, you bring that down a few thousand notches and here we are today, unlikely to be burned at the stake. At least this afternoon, I think you're safe. It's not going to happen. But our versions of persecution and suffering, though much milder, can still be real. The the spirit can be the same. You might be ridiculed at work for being a Christian. You might miss out on some socialising with friends. In fact, you, you might miss out on some friendships altogether and for a good cause in the long run. Because of your faith. And you might even have to make that move sometimes and say, sorry, I'm not going there. I'm not hanging out. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm living life different now. And that can be a bit sad. You might be a bit lonely for a while while you have to rebuild some new relationships. Sometimes the spirit of Antichrist that I spoke about can really be noticeable. And you think, wow, that's not fair. Why is this happening? Maybe you're you know, you're marked down unfairly in a university assignment because you reference some Christian value that the lecturer picks up on it, and yet someone else is encouraged or approved of for some worldly view. You know, there's all kinds of more subtle ways that we might suffer and come across some kind of persecution. But the principle remains, a Christian living for Jesus is going to live for glory beyond this world, beyond any sufferings that we face, And so because of that, we have this great hope. We carry thinking, well, this is just going to be temporary. You know, we're we're entering into glory eventually. So any problems or persecutions, it's not that bad. And so as Peter says, don't be surprised if you follow Jesus and things don't always go easily for you. Amen. And at the same time, hey, we live with God's blessing on our life. And we have the power of prayer. We've got spiritual armor and spiritual weapons. And so we can defeat the enemy and it's important that we don't suffer unnecessarily. And Peter refers to that. Look at the next verse in about verse 15, I think. He says, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. If someone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So 
you know, here he's saying, hey, if you suffer, make sure you're suffering for the right reasons. In the previous chapter, verse 17, I think Eleanor preached about this a couple of weeks ago. He said, it's better to suffer for doing good, if that be God's will, than for doing evil. Because some Christians are suffering unnecessarily. Some people are, are suffering because of just their own mistakes, bad decisions. It's just reaping and sowing. You just made some bad decisions and that's the result. Don't blame God. Don't, you know, just... Just get through it, make some better decisions. Or sometimes people are suffering uh, poverty or, or, or sickness or something that they could do something about through prayer and they've drunk the Kool-Aid, so to speak, that says, oh, well, I guess this is more spiritual because I'm suffering and isn't all suffering good and godly? No, not, not necessarily at all. And so you want to make sure you're in the will of God. And yes, that will may sometimes involve some tough times, but there'll be some blessing as well. And some people are avoiding the blessing that they could take under this some sort of weird religious notion that all suffering is good. Can you hear me? And so there are times and circumstances when troubles come that God will permit that, that might be tough and they go hand in hand with his glory, but there's also good godly promises for blessing godly prosperity, and you lean into that and embrace that as well. Finally, let's look at verse 17. He says, it's time for judgment, to begin at the household of God. If it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if righteousness is scarcely saved, sorry, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So we know God's a God of grace, mercy, love, forgiveness, but he's also a God of truth and justice, and that means judgment. Now, of course, if we believe in Jesus, we're within the household of God and we escape judgment for our sin because of the sacrifice of Jesus in our place. Amen? Right? That's good, basic, simple doctrine. But then notice he asks this very sobering rhetorical question about those still living in sin, living apart from God, not embracing the forgiveness that God's offered through Jesus. And so that should stir our prayers and our witness. And that's why we pray collectively and we should pray individually and we talk about our weekly witness and being on the front foot with our faith and try to help people understand how good God is, how Jesus loves them and how we can be born again. And it's a serious issue. And then uh, finally, just look at the last verse in this passage. He says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So again, if there is suffering, it may be according to God's will. Not always, but some is. You know, we understand the, the balance there, the tension. And if we are suffering, entrust our souls to God and we keep doing good. In other words, God's faithful. He's going to look after you. Just keep leaning into him. Don't run from him, run to him. And don't make the mistake that some people make when life gets tough and uh, uh, problems come their way, they, they run from God and look for every solution but the right one, which is turning to him and walking with him. Well, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for every word that you've given us in the word of God and every truth that we find evident there and we don't want to just preach happy platitudes but 
take hold of whatever you've got to say and it's so sobering and and a little sad to to suffer and hear about it and and yet lord we know that you're you're with those that suffer and you're with anyone here who is currently going through a tough time and will be in the future also and we want to faithfully hold on to you because you are faithful to us help us lord god to look to you and to lean on you and to rely on on your strength that you bring in in even the toughest times we thank you the grace of god we thank you that you work things out for good for those who love you thank you lord god you bring us shining brighter and better through through any difficulties and we sense your glory we look to that day glorious day ultimately in your presence and we walk in your glory in the meantime we thank you amen we hope you have enjoyed this week's sermon for more information or to contact us visit c3church.narara.net